And welcome in. It's another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. This was supposed to be a radio show tonight. Here's what happened. As I tape this, this is when my regular show that is on Monday through Friday when we're not preempted, which does happen sometimes. I mean, that's the danger of doing a sports show at night when you're on a station that does play-by-play like 97.3 The Game does. And we've got the NCAA tournament. We've got coaches shows. We've got a number of things that would otherwise blow me off the air, which is fine because I've got a million things uh, that I also have to do at the radio station as well. My job is one of those multifaceted things. So normally my show open sounds like this, but instead of this playing right about exactly now, I go into... The studio. Thank you, Mr. Voiceman. Um, I go into the studio at our, our producer, Hunter Baumgart. He is the uh, producer for the Drew and KB show, and they're on right before me. And he looks at me, and Hunter's new. And he reminds, actually reminds me a lot of myself at his age. But he looked at me like I, I was like a ghost or something. And then I just kind of looked at him and said, you don't look like you're expected to see me. And he's like... I don't there. uh, There must have been a communication issue. It happens, you know, and um, so the Drew and KB show went an hour longer as I taped this on Wednesday night. And so I'm like, well, you know, I had a couple of things that I was going to do, but nothing critical. I didn't have any live guests or anything like that. I was on earlier in the day with Mike Heller uh, sitting in for Ted Davis on the Heller and Davis show, which is syndicated statewide throughout the entire state of Wisconsin from noon until three. And I was going to bring back some of the things that I did on that show. So as I'm walking back to my office and I'm like, well, I mean, I still kind of I have a full show here prepped. Might as well just do a podcast and just do it like I would have done it with the radio show. So this is what the game night on Thursday, March 23rd, was going to sound like. I was going to start off talking about Tyreek Hill and then kind of segue from that into Devontae Adams. And then I've been wanting to talk to Tom Rosiak from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel down at spring training. We had a chance to do that on the Heller and Davis show earlier today, so I'm going to replay that conversation. Wanted to talk some Bucks, also from the Journal Sentinel, Jim Ozarski, their Bucks uh, beat writer. He joined Mike and I earlier today, so we're going to bring you that conversation as well. But again, we start with the news of the day, and it's something that kind of came out of nowhere. And I didn't realize, and I said this on the air earlier today with Mike Heller, we're so in tuned here in the state of Wisconsin to what the Packers are doing. We've been hypersensitive to the fact that at the beginning of last year, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, they social mediaed out this picture that was depicting them as if they were Pippen and Jordan in the last dance, saying, this is it. What I think we all miscalculated in the state of Wisconsin was who was more likely to leave. I know that there were a number of Packers fans, because we talked about it during Packers season, about Devontae Adams and his impending free agency. Well, the Packers will figure something out, especially if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go. But Aaron and Devontae, they are so tied together. They, they, they're not. I'm loath to say the words, 
I told you so, but in this case, it's kind of true. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers were never tied together. They were teammates. They did incredible things on the field, but their contracts weren't tied to one another. What I think we also miscalculated here in the state of Wisconsin was just how close Devontae Adams and Derek Carr have been and continue to be. We'll hear from Devontae Adams coming up in just a couple moments. Because we were sensitive to that. We knew that there was a chance that Devontae Adams and or Aaron Rodgers could be in someone else's uniform next year. And maybe we all kind of, myself included, buried our heads in the sand a little bit when Devontae Adams bought a house in Summerlin, Nevada, which is right outside of Las Vegas, spent $14 million on that. Who spends $14 I mean, listen, Devontae Adams has enough money. He can spend $14 million on literally whatever kind of house he wants, wherever he wants. And if he lives in it three days a year, he can afford that. But the fact that he bought a $14 million house that has been very well documented and did so a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe there was a little bit of fire to that smoke. Uh, that's not his off-season house. That's his house, and that's where he's going to live. He always wanted to play for the Raiders, which we'll, again, get to in a moment. But what I didn't realize that the Kansas City Chiefs were shopping around Tyreek Hill. And it started, uh, apparently, over the weekend. And the two finalists, and it doesn't appear as though the Packers were in on this at all, which, um, listen, with Tyreek Hill, there's some buyer beware there, you know what I mean? There is baggage. There's there's no question that, you know, there are incidents in his past that lead one to believe that maybe this isn't the best fit for what we're trying to do. Even though he's a tremendous talent and he's 28 years old, entering his prime, and he's going to sign a four-year, $120 million extension, but... The two teams that it came down to were the Dolphins and the Jets. So if you're Tyreek Hill, yes, you get a bigger payday, but I don't know when you're going to next be in the playoffs. I think you're, you, you've are you got a better shot with the Dolphins as opposed to the Jets, but the Dolphins are a mess themselves. They've got an owner who, according to the last coach, was willing to pay that coach a bonus of $100,000 for every loss that he racked up. And I don't think that we, well, who knows with the NFL. I mean, their ability to sweep things under the rug is legendary and seemingly has no bottom to it. Um, So I think they're going to pay some lip service to Stephen Ross. They'll say they investigate and then wink, wink, nudge, nudge, pat on the back. Try to not get caught again doing this. We can't keep doing this. But then again, that's why Roger uh, Goodell gets the paycheck that Roger Goodell gets. Roger Goodell gets paid to take the the slings and arrows for the 32 owners. Well, 31 owners plus the uh, ownership structure the Packers have. But Stephen Ross is a terrible person who does you know terrible things. So I'm I'm not surprised uh, that that's the situation that he's finding himself in in Miami. But that's what NFL owners do. And most NFL owners don't give a damn about anything that's in the past. Can you play? Can you score touchdowns? Can you ball? Okay. 
So you beat the crap out of your pregnant girlfriend? Oh, come on. That was eight years ago. It's ancient history. Who cares if you beat the shit out of her? doesn't matter. You can ball. And we see it time and time again. The only time that the NFL ever acts on anything is when there's videotaped evidence. Bruises don't matter. An incident a couple of years later where he's caught on audio tape with his, I don't know if they're married, but his girlfriend at the time, I don't, I don't know if they're still together, saying that our son is afraid of you and he's saying, yeah, well, you should be afraid of me too. I mean, come on. I'll give him credit for not having a rap sheet for the last four years, five years. So bully for him, I suppose. Great player, though. Tyreek Hill caught 111 passes for over 1,200 yards last season, nine touchdowns. Uh, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, thanks to no small effort of Tyreek Hill. And the Dolphins made out better than the Packers did for Devontae Adams. There's no question. So if Devontae Adams wants to say that he's the best wide receiver in the NFL, okay. The Packers didn't get nearly the haul that the Kansas City Chiefs did. So Miami gets Tyreek Hill. Kansas City gets a first-round pick and a second-round pick, just like the Packers did in this upcoming draft. They also get a fourth-round pick this year, and they also get fourth- and sixth-round picks in the 2023 NFL draft. But this is one of those trades that helps both teams, helps the Dolphins tremendously, and Mike McDaniels, who's the new coach in Miami, this is a player that fits his system. The Dolphins now get one of the best receiving duos in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Waddle caught 104 passes his rookie season last year, so he's an emerging star. And they're trying to do a reclamation project on Tua Tagovailoa. He's looking for a breakout season, if you will. He's been okay. He hasn't been terrible. It hasn't been great. And I think that fans in Miami are probably pretty stoked to get Tyreek Hill. As for the Chiefs, um, probably less happy in the immediacy. They've got a lot of draft picks coming back for Tyreek Hill. But if you're Patrick Mahomes, you just, I mean, it's kind of like Aaron Rodgers this past year. You're so close. You're in the conference championship game. Why are you trading away my best wide receiver? Two best uh, the two best quarterbacks in the NFL the last four seasons have been Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Bar none. I mean, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady's been fantastic. Two best quarterbacks are the two guys who just lost their two best wide receivers, or one each, respectively. Uh, Kansas City, they're trying to make up for the loss of Tyreek Hill, but when Juju Smith-Schuster came in, you're like, all right, what's what's going on here? But Juju Smith-Schuster made a name for himself before Antonio Brown, A, left Pittsburgh, and B, lost his mind. So now the Chiefs need to bring in another playmaker to make up for Tyreek Hill. So that's the trade that went down today. It was a blockbuster. There's no question about that. Exactly, you know, what that's going to mean for one of the best teams in the NFL over the last four years. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not... An immediate step in the right direction, that's for sure. Which brings us to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams introduced to the Las Vegas 
media last night. And one of the first things he was asked was, well, how how'd you find out about your trade? Well, it was a pleasant surprise because I found out um, kind of the same way you did. Um, I wish it would have been a little bit more of a, you know, official thing to where I could at least, you know, let my family know and stuff like that. But, you know, it is what it is. It just kind of went with the punches. But um, it was really an idea up until it was done because, you know, it's, it's never easy to make that happen. You see it in the NBA all the time. Guys make it make it happen, you know, get where they want to be, you know, any type of way they got to do it. But, um, you know, for us, it was something that we, you know, we obviously it would it's crazy for the fans, you know, for Fresno State, crazy for the Raider fans, you know, all of California, um, and obviously the people that support us individually too. So um, something that we were definitely looking forward to potentially doing down the road. Um, but obviously me playing in Green Bay, great situation, having, you know, greatest quarterback to play the game, you know, um, that's uh, that's that's a, a dream in itself. So I'll never take anything away from, you know, anything Green Bay gave me or, you know, Aaron gave me. It was it was an amazing opportunity to, to work over there and, and do what I did for almost a decade. Um but, you know, things change sometimes. It's not the first time that, a, you know, an impactful player to an organization had to leave. Um, you know, and, you know, I feel like it worked out for both sides ultimately. Yeah, made out the, a little bit better for the Raiders than it did for the Packers. There's no way that the Packers were going to get fair market value, though, for one of, if not the, best wide receiver in the NFL. The two players that the I mean, it's impossible to know who they are, and it's impossible to be able to project out what kind of careers those two players are going to have. Maybe the sum of the two will be better than Devontae Adams. The odds of that happening, though, are pretty slim, even though it's a first-round pick and a second-round pick. So the Raiders made out better than the Packers did in this. It will help the Packers with their salary cap issues that are sure to come to fruition uh, especially after Aaron Rodgers' career is over and they've got all that dead cap money that has been deferred, kicking the can down the road. I think it's the way that it's uh, been, I guess, referred to in the NFL media over the last, I don't know, how long has this been going on? Two years? What we didn't know, though, about Devontae Adams are things that we're finding out right now, including the fact that it had always been his dream to play for the Raiders. From you know, I grew up in East Palo Alto, so being I was a Raiders fan my whole life, so it is a dream to be a Raider, man. So it's a it's a it's dream come true. Um, in the third grade yearbook, I said I wanted to be a you know an NFL star or an NBA star, and I was wearing a, a Charles Woodson jersey at the time. So it's been documented forever. So you know, I, could, I guess you could say it's meant to be. To be clear, it was a Charles Woodson Raiders jersey and not a Charles Woodson Packers jersey. Although it had to be kind of trippy for Devontae Adams to be associated now with both of the teams that Charles Woodson played for in the NFL. But Charles is still around the Packers. Not every day, but he still comes by. He's um, a member of the Packers Hall of Fame. He is a member of the Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame. He still has some business dealings here in Wisconsin as well. So certainly Devontae Adams and Charles Woodson have a relationship. But Devontae was also asked, was there a turning point in your negotiations with the Packers that made this, going to the Raiders, seem like, yeah, this is something that's going to happen. What exactly did happen in Green Bay? I mean, the turning point was really when I had to sit down and, and figure out what was best for, for me and my family. It wasn't really 
wasn't just the teaming up with Derek. It wasn't, you know, something that we, like I said, we didn't scheme this, you know, all, all season or whatever. We just, you know, kind of checked in on each other football-wise. The rest, I mean, we check in on each other all the time about family and, and the, the real stuff. But as far as football and getting together, um, you're not being a great teammate to, you know, your current organization if that's all you're worried about. You know, he had to worry about getting the ball to Hunter and, and Darren and, and, and those guys and being a great teammate over here. And I had to, you know, do what I could to try to, you know, get to a Super Bowl. And obviously that didn't happen for either of us. So once we got to the point where it was it was real, we started entertaining it. But, um, yeah, it, it, ultimately it was just for, for my family situation. You know, I got another baby on the way, so... Um, you know, quality of life obviously is is a is another piece of it that that means a lot to me, and um, you know, I have a lot of family in, in you know in California that's never been to see me play before. Grandparents, uh, my my grandmother wasn't doing well; she was in the hospital recently. So, just kind of reflecting and thinking about life things and stuff that really matters in this world. That's stuff that matters to me. Um, you know, that's stuff that's weighing on my mind when I, when there's a decision to be made. You know, do I want to be able to go through my whole career without having either of my grandparents, um, you know, on either side, um, see me play. And I, I didn't like that. So obviously being in Vegas, it gives him a much better opportunity. My dad drives everywhere. So to be able to make that happen, it's a little harder to drive to, to Green Bay. So, um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a dream come true to be able to do this thing and, and ultimately get it done. So I'm, I'm happy with where we are. I'm sure he is, and he's also happy with the contract that he received as well. Uh, Devontae Adams signing a five-year, $141.3 million contract with the Ravens. The Packers have said, and it seems like there is truth to this, that they would have paid even more to Devontae Adams if he would have stayed. They were willing to pay the freight. And was it maybe lost on the irony of the fact that Devontae Adams, while still the highest-paid wide receiver in NFL history, highest-paid non-quarterback in NFL history, could have even gotten more if he would have just stayed in Green Bay. It's funny you say that because this is like one of the – more of the stuff has been surrounding the fact that I'm on the Raiders now. You know, everybody's saying congrats on being on the Raiders. It hasn't been congrats on $140 million. It's been congrats, congrats. You get to to play for a team, you know, you grew up loving – um, you know, it's a great situation for you. I'm glad that you got, you know, you're, you're happy and all of that stuff. So, I mean, it's a blessing. Obviously, I've already made a lot of money, but to, to have this type of security, get to a place that, you know, it's, it's almost like leaving high school, going to college again. You know, you, you're a kid in a candy store, and to, to be a place where they're happy to have you and give you all that money, I mean, it's just a bonus. And he's also happy, certainly, that he doesn't have to go to the Oakland Raiders because the Oakland Raiders – had the worst facility in all of football, bar none. The Las Vegas Raiders, however, have, if not the best, certainly one of the best. Now, when I say team facility, there's a practice facility generally for some teams, most teams, and then there's the stadium. The Packers kind of have a combined stadium slash team facility. There are other teams that have that. The Houston Texans, for example, they have a combined team facility. Uh, The Chicago Bears do not. They have a stadium in downtown Chicago, Soldier Field, and then they've got their team facility, which is in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is an hour away. Well, the Raiders, their team facility is not at Allegiant Stadium, but Devontae was asked his first impressions of his new digs. It was a lot of emotion. First of all, I walked in, and when I first walked in, I had to I had to run back out because I didn't have my phone. You know, you got to record everything now. So I had to I had to grab my phone and, and fake it and act like I was just walking up. 
my boys recorded me too, so walked up. Um, another piece that I, that was bad, and I wish that my, my wife was able to be here and, and my daughter as well. But um, she's pregnant right now, can't can't move around as much as what, what we would like. Um, but it was it was crazy, man. It's it's a everything around here is like uh, the the iPhone 15. It's, it's, it's like it's just futuristic. The freaking the the facility looked like a spaceship. I mean, it's it's just crazy. So seeing that, and then I got the chance to see the the Raiderette locker room and seeing how that looked was like blew my mind too. So everything is just top tier. It's a whole nother level when you walk into this building. So blew my mind, and it's, I'm still kind of processing it now, but um, it's starting to soak in a little bit more. And there are some familiar faces for him, not only Derek Carr, his former college teammate, but also a former assistant coach, former wide receivers coach from earlier in his NFL career, former Packers running back, Packers legend, Packers Super Bowl winning running back, Edgar Bennett. Well, EB was one of the first people that I saw when I walked in here um, when I came to sign a few days ago. And first thing I let him know, I said, man, you got to ease up on the test. First thing, that's the first thing I said to him, and he started dying laughing because EB was one of the guys that, I mean, he, he has a lot to do with who I am today just from the, the mental aspect of approaching the game because, I mean, this man used to put together some of the most impossible wide receiver tests to pass ever. I mean, it was, it was almost like he was being set up. It, was, it, was, it wasn't fun, but when I look back on it now, the way I, you know, the way I look at the game, the way I can dissect the game, knowing coverages and things like that, EB had a lot to do with that. So it's a, it's a great feeling being able to get him back. Um, he looks great too. Lost a lot of weight, and I was, so I was, I was happy for him, man. He's a, he's a, a big piece of who I am. The more you listen to Devonte Adams talk about the Las Vegas Raiders, you know that this was just going to happen. There was nothing the Packers could have done, and, and I've heard this a lot. In the last week since the trade was announced. Well, what could have the Packers done? They were trying to undercut. Well, no, that's not that's not true. He hated Aaron Rodgers. Well, th- that doesn't appear to be true. I don't think that there's any truth to that. He hated Wisconsin. He hate no, well, I, I don't I don't think so. It's just a matter of the fact that a player wanted to play where he wanted to play. A player wanted to, I mean, you can say go home, he's, he's from Northern California, he's not from Las Vegas, but he is from the West Coast, and he is now going to a place that is a lot closer, as he talked about, for his family and friends to come see him play, to stay in his big house in Summerlin. He just wanted to be there. That's what he wanted. And at some point... Shouldn't we all get that opportunity? Shouldn't we all be able to live and work where we want? Now, it's a little bit different in professional athletics. We all kind of understand that. And professional athletes know that, too. And professional athletes generally don't have very long careers. And there's always retirement. And then you can take your millions and go wherever you want to go. But if you have the opportunity, if it's staring you right in the face... And one of your closest friends in the world is the quarterback of the team that you dreamed of playing for when you were in third grade. And that opportunity is there. Walk a mile in Devontae's shoes. You can ask the question, where is he going to be more likely to win a Super Bowl? Well, he hasn't won a Super Bowl here. Packers have come close a couple of times. 
The Packers have been in, what, the last three NFC championship? Well, two of the last three NFC championship games, and they were the number one seed this year before they took a shit in the divisional round. Devontae Adams has no rings. He is ringless. I don't know if he's got a better opportunity here or there. The Packers have salary cap issues, significant salary cap issues. They do have the two-time reigning MVP. And the adage that as long as you have number 12 on your side, you've got a chance, that's true. You do. You've absolutely got the opportunity to win a championship as long as Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. Certainly a better chance if Aaron Rodgers was was, was the quarterback than Jordan Love. And I don't even know that that's a knock on Jordan Love. And I'm not willing to sit here and say that that was a wasted draft pick. Just things didn't work out. The Packers, and Aaron's talked about this, the Packers had counted on Aaron Rodgers to not be a very good quarterback in 2020 and and 2021. Instead, he wins NFL MVP in both seasons. And the Packers are the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. Now, I think part of that is because the rest of the NFC North isn't very good. And that's helped prop up the Packers. And they've certainly had their playoff failures. But who's to say that the Raiders are a team that's not on the upswing? I think they're in a much more competitive division now in the AFC West. Although Kansas City took a huge step back for 2022 by trading Tyreek Hill earlier today. But the Raiders also, on the other side of the ball, they brought in Chandler Jones, an all-pro from the Arizona Cardinals. They're making moves. Maybe Derek Carr just needed his best wide receiver back. Aaron Rodgers' best wide receiver is Devontae Adams, of course. Maybe Derek Carr's always was, too. The opportunity was there. He took it. If you were Devontae Adams, I mean, just think about it. I, I know that... We all put on our green and gold glasses, and all of us who have been to Lambeau Field know how special of a place it is. But we also, most of us, if you're listening to this show, most of us grew up here. Most of us grew up with the mystique. Most of us grew up with, I mean, you can't go through an NFL season without seeing images of the 1960s Vince Lombardi Packers. Well, if you're an Oakland Raiders fan, you probably grew up, and now a Las Vegas Raiders fan, but if you grew up an Oakland Raiders fan, you probably grew up with some of those images as well, of maybe Marcus Allen or Fred Bolitnikoff, John Madden, Ken Stabler, Al Davis, the great Raiders teams of that era. In Devontae Adams' case, Charles Woodson, a member of the Oakland Raiders. I wish him well. I hope the Packers find the Oakland Raiders or the uh, Las Vegas Raiders in the Super Bowl, and I hope the Packers beat them. I mean, isn't that not the best of both worlds? I don't think Packers fans should be upset about Devontae Adams. I think Packers fans should just kind of understand what happened. And to me, that's what happened. He saw an opportunity, and he took it. He saw an opportunity that would fulfill a lifelong dream of his, and he took it. Do I wish the Packers would have gotten more for him? Yeah, I think. I do. Um, But then again, I mean, maybe the Raiders had some leverage because if they were going to trade him to, for example, Miami, who just traded for Tyreek Hill, 
Devontae Adams could have just said, look, the only team that I'm going to sign an extension with is Las Vegas. So the haul that you're going to get back with that knowledge is the haul that you're going to get back, but it's going to be a lot less if it's going to be a team that I don't want to play with because he's still going to be an unrestricted free agent. You can play under the, and, and he can say that I'm not playing under the franchise tag, but, you know, when you earn free agency, that's what you earn. And Devontae Adams has earned his free agency. All right, turning the page, this was going to be segment two upcoming right now of uh, the game night. Earlier today, had a chance to talk some baseball with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's new lead baseball writer. Now that Tom Hottercourt has uh, gone off to retirement, we had a chance to catch up with Todd Rosiak. Mike Heller and I did uh, Todd Rosiak in uh, Phoenix for spring training. The news of the day, the Brewers signing nine of their ten arbitration-eligible players, including Cy Young Award winner Corbin Burns and his, if you want to call it running mate, Brandon Woodruff and others. Well, I think... First and foremost, it's, it was interesting just because that class of players is just so good. I, I mean, it, it really, really constitutes the core of the Brewers, you know. Yeah. So many key guys, starting with, uh, you know, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. You have your closer and Josh Hader, you know, Willie Adamas. You've got your starting catcher and Omar Narvaez, um, Hunter Renfro. Just, you know, you, you go around the diamond and these are just key, key guys. And, um, you know, to be able to come to an agreement before having to go to a hearing is is huge. Just, you know, David Stearns mentioned that the schedule is just so thrown off right now with, you know, the late start to spring training and everything. This is all business that would have been conducted before spring training even started. So to have it going on in the background, I, I would assume for players can definitely be a, a distraction. Uh, and now to have nine of these 10 guys locked up, um, you know, not only do you have relative payroll certainty, but guys are in a good place and they don't have to worry about this stuff anymore and you can move on. So, um, you know, the lone holdout was Adrian Hauser and, and, you know, looking at the numbers, it didn't look like they, that were reported last night. Um, you know, what each side filed, it was, they were not that far off. So it was, that's kind of interesting that both sides kind of dug in and weren't able to find middle ground. So, um, typically, typically the Brewers will, you know, go to a hearing, but I would assume this, that the two sides will keep talking and maybe they can figure something out before a hearing and then get everybody into the fold. Because if not, you know, you run the risk of, and we talked to David Stearns and Craig Council about this yesterday, you run the risk of, you know, these hearings are going to take place in season. And what if all of a sudden Adrian Hauser's hearing falls on a day he's supposed to pitch? You know, like how how does a guy focus? How does a guy handle that? So, um, you know that that's kind of a you know funny little blip on the screen as far as the way this the, this season is playing out with the lockout stuff. But overall, I definitely think it's a win win for for both sides yesterday, and just to get it done and to be able to focus back on the field is is very big. Todd, if we go back a, a bunch of years uh, in which the Brewers were not thought to be an above 500 team or a, a contender for the division or a pennant. Uh, and now you look at him, I mean, they're the, certainly the favorite in the division and one of the top end favorites in the national league that didn't happen overnight, but it's also a different concept and players 
and their ability to handle it. Some of that comes from management, their manager, Craig Counselor, or the GM. Um, this is a shift uh, that we've uh, we've enjoyed for a number of years now, but it certainly is different than what it used to be. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's grown up in the area and remembers, uh, you know, the, the very lean years, the lean decades, it, it certainly is a shift. And, and it's, uh, you know, I, I would say it's not unlike, uh, of course, the Brewers have yet to experience the, the highest of highs winning the World Series or even getting back. But, you know, those of us who remember the lean years for the Packers, the lean years for the Badgers and all that kind of stuff, it's 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 almost hard to wrap your mind around the fact that, you know, the, the Brewers are in this sustained period right now of success and not only success, but high expectations. And, um, you know, I think it all starts with developing the pitching. You know, you can argue that the Brewers have the best pitching staff from top to bottom in baseball right now. And if not the best, certainly one of the best two or three. And this is a franchise that's just struggled mightily until recently developing that pitching. So, uh, it, it's got to be fun from a fan standpoint, I, I, I would imagine, just to know that this team is going to be in the conversation, barring anything unforeseen, any injuries to key guys, that sort of thing. Um, but it's got to be fun to know that your team is going to be in the hunt, really, from, from start to finish and is being considered one of the favorites to uh, you know not only get to the postseason, but, but also potentially do some damage. I want to get back to Adrian Hauser for just a second, Todd. According to reports, he filed at $3 million. The Brewers countered at $2.425 million. I know it's a lot of money to you, me, maybe not so much Mike. Different, <laughs> different, different tax bracket. Yeah. But yeah. from a baseball perspective, we are literally talking about peanuts. What am I missing here? Why can't the Brewers just look at the $3 million and just say, yeah, he had a good season for us last year. We're getting cost certainty with Woodruff and significantly under market value with Woodruff and Burns. Just give him the money for crying out loud. It's a half a million dollars. It's one minimum salary in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. That's what I said before. You would you would think there's a pretty obvious midpoint there. Um, Not you know, even the a midpoint. Just give it to him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The Brewers, the Brewers are very process-oriented now, you know, and – I don't know if they just have that line in the sand and they're, they've drawn it and that's where they're going to stay. Um, you know, a Hauser, you know, I'm sure he's a proud guy and, and certainly he is proud of what, you know, the body of work he put up last year. He was darn good for them. So, you know, this, this is the kind of thing, this is where, you know, the process can become personal between player and organization. And that's not a great thing, obviously. So, It'll be interesting. I, I would imagine that there will be conversations in the background, you know, and, and we don't even have a date. I asked David Stern yesterday, and he was guessing sometime in April or May that a hearing would take place. But, um, you know, I, I would imagine the two sides will talk, and, and it would not surprise me greatly if they if they figured something out before then because it just really it, it behooves both sides to do it. Todd, one of the – the offshoots of the agreement that got everybody back to work is that now baseball can begin working on what we see as consumers, the more important elements of the game, making the game better, making pace of play, making action better. Of the things that they're going to implement, and we're going to go back to the runner on second and ten in the tenth inning and beyond, but then next year the potential of shifts and the bases, what, what are the areas that you see are imperative for the game to be better? Um, 
ghost runner, uh, no, no long extra inning games. And that's just, that's just for me, you know, media, because there isn't a me and an I. In media. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> yeah, that you is know. true. Yep. Selfishly, that's what I, that's why I'm saying that. But, um, you know, we, we actually had a conversation with Craig Council about this uh, last week, and he's a huge advocate for all this stuff. And he, he's like, look, you know, the, and this stuff, the, some of this stuff is not going to work, you know, it, but the important thing is baseball is trying and thinking of new things and um, trying to address the pace of play issue and everything, which turns a lot of people off. And there's nothing wrong with experimenting and failing. Um, but the, the important thing is that you have the open mind to do it and both sides are on board to, to me, to me, you know, if, if there were a pitch clock instituted, you know, what, what, what were they talking like 15 seconds or something like that? Um, well, they have it. It's 20 out. seconds. You see it on the, on the wall of the stadium in every stadium. Right, I mean, you're, yeah. They're just not enforced. Exactly. Well, they, they, they went to, I think it was 15 seconds in the minors and he, he said that that, you will really notice that, and that will that will if it's enforced, that will pick up the pace of the game definitely, and it will also change the game. Uh, you know, I, I would think that uh, you know from both hitter and pitcher standpoint, you know, there there may be more offense, maybe more offense struggles because the pitchers throwing the ball again so quickly. We don't know, but the cool thing is that they're talking about it. They're they're willing to to try some different things. I know there's a whole subset of, of traditionalists out there who don't like that stuff, you know, who are mad that there's the DH in the, in the national league now moving forward. I get that. But at the same time, you know, baseball is trying to attract a new generation and, you know, trying to keep some of these fans that do get bored with the length of games and that sort of thing. So I think it's a good thing. And I think it's interesting. There are always interesting conversations to have. At what point do the Brewers approach Corbin, maybe they have, I don't know, approach Corbin Burns and his representation about, all right, can we hammer out some sort of long-term deal? It's going to be an astronomical number, but Corbin Burns, the reigning National League Cy Young Award winner, uh, pitching wins nowadays. And I know they committed a lot of money to Christian Yelich. So far, they haven't gotten the ROI on that. But you've got Burns, you've got Woodruff. If you've got to pick one, I'm picking Burns for, I guess, obvious reasons. But has that conversation, to your understanding, started? And, you know, where where are the Brewers' minds with that? I mean, I I have not heard anything about that. But reading between the lines uh, with what David Stern told us yesterday, you know, certainly the Brewers are always interested in trying to lock up their, you know, their young core players, but it takes two to tango. You know, so I, I'm sure the Brewers have at least broached it with, with Burns' representatives, maybe Brandon Woodruff's representatives, just to kind of test the waters. Um, but, you know, players obviously are looking for going for the biggest bucks they can get, and I don't blame them a bit for doing so. And it comes down to who do you, you know, do you bet on yourself? You know, look at a few yeah. springs ago, the, the deal that Freddie Peralta signed. At the time, it was a little bit of a gamble for the Brewers, because you didn't really know what you had, you know, you're rolling the dice that, Hey, this is a young guy. He's got some potential. He started, he's pitched in relief. He looked pretty good, been inconsistent. You know, let's, let's offer him this. Freddie was more than happy to take it. Well, look, look now. I mean, you know, Fred, Freddie's probably kicking himself in the butt because he stood to make a lot more in the, in the arbitration process and leading into free agency. Um, you know, Corbin Burns, just using him as an example, 
I, I would be willing to bet that he's like, hey, I'm betting on myself. You know, I'm Cy Young winner. I, I'm entering the prime of my physical talents here. I can stand to make a heck of a lot more money on the open market once I get there. Again, assuming you, you continue to perform and stay healthy. So that's the gamble. Um, you know, you look at another guy from years ago, Jonathan Lucroy. You know, he signed that very yeah. friendly deal to get the guaranteed money. And that's something that he personally never got over. You know, he told me several times that he really regretted not believing in himself more because he thought that, you know, he was a better player. And had he hit the open market as one of the top line catchers, he stood to make a heck of a lot more money. And I don't think he ever he never really did recoup that money because he kind of bounced around after he left Milwaukee. And and that was that. So, you know, I see both both arguments, both sides of the coin. But, um, you know, it's it's an interesting proposition I, I would certainly expect the brewers and figure the brewers are talking to these guys but again it takes two parties to to make something like this work and the players certainly are looking for top dollar wherever they can get it couple of final thoughts with todd rosiak milwaukee journal sentinel js online todd in looking at this in, in watching what the brewers are doing in spring training is there an indicator that either the team gets or you guys covering the team as to where Kristen Yelich is with the bat, or is that all predicated on once the regular season begins? And the same could be asked about Keston Hira. Is there an indicator that you get in spring that there something has changed or reclicked, or is that all part of the regular season process? Uh, I, I would just point to the game results so far, what these guys have done in the limited amount of games that they've played, and both have looked good. You know, Yelich is not really driven the ball yet but he's he has several hits to his credit he's hit the ball hard um he's on base that's a good start you know especially for this early on Keston Hira looked tremendous you know he lifted that homer a little bit wind aided uh, the other day over the right field wall but he's had several at-bats where he's where he's really scalded the ball and uh you know, he, I wrote a story about him the other day, had a really good chat with him. He's very open and honest about his struggles last year. And he made some pretty major changes to his setup in the box, uh, eliminating a toe tap, kind of taming his leg lift a little bit uh, in the hopes that he can be quicker uh, through the zone and, and be a more consistent hitter. And just, just to get one of those guys back close to where they were uh, in 2019 would be tremendous to get them both back would be unbelievable you know so but at this early point in camp I think all parties are happy with with the way things have gone to this point uh you know it'll it'll continue to be kind of a steady ramp up uh playing more innings uh, playing more games as we get closer to the start of the regular season but I would argue so far so good for both of those guys what's life without Hottercourt like (laughs) it's different I'll tell you uh we, we, uh, the other day, the, the home opener in Maryvale, I turned to everybody in the press box at one point and I said, God, it's quiet here. <laughs> everybody kind of laughed. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no kidding. I'm not kidding you. 30 seconds later, I, my phone starts buzzing. I looked down and it was Tom. <laughs> of course it was. So, so uh, I put him on speakerphone and put him up on the ledge and we were all talking to him while the game was going on. So it was almost like having him there, but not quite. So, uh, but, I mean, from a from a selfish standpoint, a personal standpoint, you guys yeah. know I love him and yeah. one of my best friends, and it's definitely been a different uh, situation down here. 
uh, you know, number one, flying solo, but number two, not having your running buddy with you too. So, uh, you know, it's going to take some getting used to, but making it work so far. And, and I'm just very happy for Tom and, you know, all the years and all the hard work he put in, he can kind of enjoy the fruits of his labor now and he'll be shipping off to Virginia before we know it. So I just told him, keep the guest room ready because I'll be down there at some yeah. point to visit. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel baseball writer Todd Rosiak on with Mike Heller and me earlier today on 97.3 The Game and statewide on WNFL in Green Bay, for example, also Fox Sports 1070 The Game in Madison and other radio stations as well. Last night, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, they keep on winning. They beat and, and clobbered. Not only do they keep winning, but they clobbered the Chicago Bulls, a team that all of a sudden is struggling. The final score last night, 126-98. to So right now, as I tape this, now there are games tonight, but right now as I tape this, Milwaukee only trails Miami in the East. Philly and Boston, though, each just a half game back. So again, as I tape this at 6.30 on Wednesday night, we don't know the outcomes of games that haven't happened yet, but Miami plays host to Golden State tonight. Uh, Boston, they host Utah. Philly is at the Lakers. The Bucks are next in action tomorrow night, so Thursday night, uh, hosting the Washington Wizards. Had a chance to catch up with Jim Ozarski from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on the Bucks beat. This is a team that's really starting to play good basketball once again, now with Brooke Lopez back in the lineup. The Bulls, I guess at this point, are what they are when you look at an 0-16 record against the top three teams in the East and West. I mean, that, that seems improbable. You know, you just sort of run into a victory at some point. So I'm, but conversely, though, I think the fact that the Bucks, you know, yes, they won that first game in January. It was a much tighter game. DeMar DeRozan scores 35 points, goes to the line, what, nine times. Um, doesn't go to the line at all last night. Five times, you know, earlier in the month at UC. And that just shows that the Bucks perimeter defenders, Wesley Matthews, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, George Hill, Javon Carter um, can defend elite-level perimeter talent, two all-stars. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan can get MVP votes and not foul them, make them work. Um, that, that's a good sign going forward, especially when you look at some of the wings and, and guards that are shaping up in this, this playoff race. How important is it that the Bucks, they're right now the number two seed, but Boston and Philadelphia both just a half game back. How important is number two versus number three versus number four, in your opinion? Is there any difference when the playoffs do roll around? Uh, you know, I, I think, well, look, if you're a top three seed, the, your chances of maybe getting two or three home court series uh, are in your favor. I mean, the Bucks were, what, a three last year? Now, granted, they got a, an Eastern Conference Finals trip at home because of an upset, you know, with, with Atlanta. Um, but that at least, so at least two of the four, right? If you're a four seed, you're probably only going to get that first round. Um, I'd say that's the important thing, Doug. I, I don't think there's any matchup, you know, uh, benefit, <laughs> to be quite honest, in this East. I mean, if you're a two seed, the one seed you're, you're waiting on who wins the play in. And while generally speaking, that's a good thing. Um, but this year, do, do you want home court against the Nets? Uh, that means you have Kyrie four times, right? If you go seven games. So, yeah. you know, there's that whole thing. I mean, we'll see how it goes out in the next week. So 
to your point, Doug, I, I don't know if it's a matchup thing. I think it's more your your odds to me are always better if the more home games you have, and that's where that plays in for the Bucks. Jim, when, when when I look at the Bucks right now, I want to see uh, uh, you see them differently uh, because of where you are in proximity. You see them every night, and the addition of Brook Lopez, and we talked about it all season. How would he come back? Would he come back? How would he be limited? Brooke Lopez right now looks every bit of the guy that you would hoped, best-case scenario, you'd see. Now, that can change. <laughs> I don't want it to, but it can change. But I see the Bucks as the favorite right now in the East, and I didn't a month ago because I didn't know his status. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he does. And, you know, it's funny. A guy like Brooke Lopez isn't going to change national perception uh, you know, all the betting sites aren't going to move lines because of Brooke Lopez, or quite frankly, even George Hill. But it definitely, in real life, where it matters, like it, it I, I agree with you, Mike. Um, we, I think it was fair to reserve judgment. Um, I think Brooke even would, would have said that's fair. And he comes out in Utah, guys, and says, hey, I, I feel better now than even before I got hurt. And, and, and sort of what he meant by that was, so now we're going back to last year, and, and he said this, this disc issue that was fixed could have been, I mean, it, it, it started somewhere and eventually worked its way out to where it needed surgery. So he was probably playing with a certain level of discomfort that he just thought was normal, Yeah. right? And, and now it's, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I feel fantastic. And we, we have seen that just in this very short amount of time. Back out, switching on to Michael Conley Jr. in in Utah. You know, chasing down a, a block from behind, then coming back the other way, stepping into a three. It changes so much of what the Bucks do defensively. In so many ways, they know it. Uh, you should have seen the smiles. I mean, on the faces of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday uh, last night against uh, Chicago, and just what he means to them. And you're right. I, you know. Now that Serge Ibaka is truly yep. just a backup slash complimentary pig as opposed to the guy, um, yeah, this is a much different, you know, Bucks interior heading into to a strong Eastern Conference playoff. Well, what does it mean to then have Bobby Portis coming back off the bench as well? Because the Bucks are one of the deeper teams, and we certainly saw that last year as well with P.J. Tucker coming off the bench and starting when he needed to. But Bobby Portis now coming off the bench, that luxury once again that Mike Budenholzer has after the game already begins. Yeah, this is a, a big deal. Look, before Pat Connaughton came back against Minnesota, the Bucks were the third worst scoring bench unit in the league. And now some of that had everything to do with Bobby Portis having to start. Connaughton, I think, started over 33% of his games before his injury. Um, so now you get a, a three-point shooter in Connaughton and Portis, who's that inside-out game. That's a big deal because that, that group wasn't providing much of anything, to be quite honest. I mean, what, you know, Wesley Matthews started out like gangbusters and then sort of went away offensively. And that was putting just so much on the big three to score and to create offense, where now if Pat Connaughton can come in and hit four threes and Bobby Portis can hit three or four threes with a couple offensive rebounds, putbacks, that's just, it changes the dynamic and the workload that the big three are going to have to have going forward. 
Jim, are you a believer in the circled games? You know, next week you've got, well, this Saturday you play at Memphis, and then next week, Tuesday and Thursday at Philadelphia and Brooklyn, and a couple of days later, Dallas at home. If you kind of circle that grouping of games, are you a believer that we learn much from those games in the final 10 of the regular season? Uh, you know, I, if this was last year, I would say no. I think, but though, you know, piggybacking off this conversation here with Lopez and Connaughton coming back, Portis going back to the bench. Last night we saw the combat, the trio of Adetokounmpo, Portis, and Ibaka together. Yeah, there's going to be some big man experimentation here. There's going to be you. You've got health, and and why I think it's a little different is this: the East is so packed that right now, yes, this conversation, the Bucks are the two seed by percentage points. Well, if you go to Memphis and lose to the Grizzlies, and then you go to Philadelphia, and, and that happens again, you know, 76ers came here, won a game, and you lose to Philadelphia. Well, now you're looking at a back-to-back in Brooklyn with then the Clippers coming to Pfizer, and, and look, the Clippers are a playoff team. They're playing really well. Suddenly, guys, you're going to have me on a week from now, and the Bucks are the five seed. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. no doubt. Yeah, so I, I think in this instance, Mike, I, I'll agree with you that the circled games matter uh, because the results actually matter to this Bucks team. And then also you want to add in the rotations and you want to be playing good basketball and all that kind of stuff. How concerned should the Bucks be about Chris Middleton's wrist? I, you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, Mike Boonholzer, I thought it was interesting that he said it was sort of incident-based, meaning he fell on it in – in Minnesota, I mean, generally with like Giannis's knee soreness, while I think there's always it's always worth some trepidation when you're talking about Giannis and Kubo plus knees. Um, I I think this year we've seen with him, it's it's about just getting that rest. Middleton, um, I, I guess we'll see with the injury report going into Washington if he's going to need another day, or if, if you know he'll be probable, and then you know Drew Holiday is going to need some soreness rest type of thing, right, as they try to sort of manage these guys down the stretch. So I, on, on, on a surface, Doug, I, I think it's okay, but I think tomorrow's injury report or, or later tonight's might uh, shed more light on that. Uh, let me leave you with this. Drew Holiday has been just on fire and, and on a roll. How much better is he playing now, or if, if that's a fair question, than he was a year ago at this time? And if he is playing that much better, is it just a comfort level or is he matured even more into his game? Uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say he's playing better, you know, and um, and I think it has everything to do with a, a greater understanding slash comfort of playing with and around Giannis and Chris. I mean, it's crazy to think, guys, that the bar for those three is a championship. You know that yeah. that was their first season together. The Bucks don't practice; they don't. Like, they don't have – the only time they play together really is what we see on the court. The, the, the Bucks just aren't a team that, that does a whole lot of work as a, as a unit on off days or practice days or whatever it may be. So, you, that, that's – they had that time together. Now, Drew Holiday is already a borderline all-star on a, on a yearly basis and clearly a top defensive player. Um, I think we have definitely seen a leap forward and why – the Bucks didn't hesitate with not just the trade, but then the extension, because that's what this is, guys, right? It was 
you traded your holiday, you give him the extension, and you're betting on a guy getting better into his early 30s at the guard position. And I, I wrote about this earlier in the year. Chauncey Billups, now I think Drew Holiday's a better player than Chauncey Billups, but Chauncey Billups ended up going to, what, four All-Star games in his 30s? And, and that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here. I think that's what the Bucks bet on. And, yeah, he's, he has definitely found something with those two um, and now he, he says, look, I haven't stopped playing. I mean, the Olympics, I think, helped him. Yeah. Um, hopefully his legs will still be there if they get to the end of an M- another NBA Finals. We'll see. But I think you're right. He is playing better, and it has everything to do with, you know, a, a second full year with, with Giannis and Chris. Jimmy, it's always good to visit with you. Thanks for being uh, flexible on today's hit and uh, looking forward to this final 10-day run. And I, I hope that we're not going to bring to fruition – that next week when we visit that the Bucks are in a five-seed position. <laughs> Let's not have that, all right? <laughs> no is, need for wild. that. I mean, <laughs> the East hasn't been like this, guys, since, I mean, the, yeah. the late 90s? The, I mean, the LeBron era was just LeBron and and some other teams. This is It's, it's kind of fun. If you're, I, I think if you're a Bucks fan, NBA fan, it's a very interesting race, and then the, the playoffs should be fun, too. Jim Ozarski from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel joining Mike Heller and me uh, earlier today on the Heller and Davis show. I'm sitting in for Ted Davis uh, today and tomorrow, which reminds me, catch us tomorrow if you want to hear more about our arguments about you know Major League Baseball and them tweaking the rules. That's a different show for a different day. Uh, maybe we'll bring you some highlights of that on our next podcast. But that'll about do it for this edition of the Doug Russell podcast, which was going to be the game night on 97.3 the game on Wednesday night but these things happen so no harm no foul I can always just turn a radio show into a podcast and hopefully you guys enjoyed it so anyway we'll talk to you soon have a great uh, night day enjoy your ride wherever you're going I guess that's the nature of an on-demand media format right (laughs) it's the Doug Russell podcast we'll talk to you soon